an old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think you're tough Yes, sir. And welcome to the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frasaro, joined by Dave D'Agostino, uh, our co-host and producer. And it's uh, personally, it's good to be back on with everybody. I was away for a couple of weeks. Sadly, I was attending the passing of my mother. Uh, God, you know, when you and her services were up in New Jersey and in and, and life, you know, you always count your blessings, everybody. And I was truly blessed to have my mom make it to 97 years old. Uh, so, you know, no matter how old you are, it's still tough when you lose your parent. Uh, she lived a great life. She was very happy. Um, and I'm going to dedicate this episode to my mother. Uh, as for today's show, we have a repeat guest, a very popular one from, from past uh, appearance, Joel Bradley. Joel Bradley is uh, one of the more interesting uh, people I've come across in this sport. Uh, he's also a business partner of mine. He's the pitching coach of Flanagan High School here in, in uh, South Florida, former scout with the Baltimore Orioles, wears a ton of hats. Joel also has a new book out, uh, The Battle for the Soul of Baseball. We'll get into that. But before we bring in Joel, let's welcome Dave D'Agostino. Dave, what uh, what do we got going? Well, just uh, want to give a thanks to our audience now. We've taken another step in our with our group here. But 50,000 subscribers, we're, we're getting pretty close. We're inching there day by day. But thank you guys for supporting the show. We've got a very sophisticated audience. So they're going to love Joel today. Um, he already gave me homework before the show. I asked two selfish questions, and I've got three or three books to read and a movie to watch um, to catch up. But our 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices, because of your support, not only are we now on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher, but we've also been invited to join, and we have, we're two weeks in now, to iHeartRadio. So we're the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. So that's thanks to the audience. Thanks to great guests like Joel. And, and Joel, thanks to you, and congratulations to you. Oh, no, thanks Thank you to all the work. And, and it, yeah, it, it's, it's awesome. You know, this it kind of speaks to the hard work we've done. And, um, you know, as, as always, mission on this, uh, this channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. And we will do so today. And, uh, and welcome. I'm going to welcome in my good friend, Joel. Joel, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. It's good to join you guys again. Yeah. You know, I, like I said, I, I touched on uh, on the personal note with the, with the passing of my mom and I and I, I kind of kind of thought, Joel, and, you know, we we we're all, you know, introduced to, to sports at a young age. Uh, our, a lot of times our mothers were the one taking us, us uh, to mm -hmm. the fields at a young age. I know my wife, very instrumental in my son's uh, upbringing in the sport of baseball. Uh, my mom, when I was playing Little League ball, of course, she was taking me there, T-shirt ball, all that stuff. So I want to ask you, Joel, as, as a high school coach, where is the, and Dave, too, I will get him early and jump on this, too, kind of the line between parenting's involvement to crossing the line, maybe, and being a little heavy-handed, and, and how do you kind of see the role of, of the parent at the young age and, and how to kind of educate the parent as well as the young player, Joel? Yeah, that's a that's a great topic in itself. You know, I, not only did I, you know, I've been coaching for a while and did the scouting and 
Um, obviously, the impact of parents is 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 so key. Uh, I think I might have touched on it uh, briefly before when I was scouting. I had a we had an opportunity when I was with the Orioles. I had an opportunity to sign a player from Cuba. He was from a single parent home, and uh, we gave him the largest signing bonus at that time. And uh, we, you know, anyway, so it was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. He winds up blowing through all the money within a couple of months, and had asked for more money, which you know, it didn't work that way, right? And so what happened was he uh, just refused to, to play, and he thought he would get, you know, we thought we'd really, he thought we'd release him, and then he'd go sign with somebody else for more money, and you know, it was a nightmare. But the reason I'm bringing him up is because he had no father figure in his life. And uh, it was a hard lesson. And I wound up talking to another scout later on who was a director for another National League team who told me, he said he would never, ever again sign a player without a father figure in his life because the impact is so great. So when you're talking about the influence of parents, you know, I saw it even when I began to teach. I, I was an English teacher for a number of years in Broward and Dade County schools. And it was always the parental involvement, which is so key to the development of kids. But where do you drop? Because sometimes that, that involvement, could, it gets blurred sometimes, right? I mean, how much is too much? When, when do you become a helicopter parent? You know, which is, uh, you know, everybody's wrong except, you know, your son or your daughter. So it's, it's, a, it's a good topic. It's deep. Um, but you know, how do we define the, how do we define those lines? I think is, is really critical to the development of, of especially baseball players. Dave, how do you kind of see it? Um, yeah, that, that line is, is, it's a little bit blurred nowadays because, you know, Joel mentioned helicopter parents. There's, there's a new breed out there called lawnmower parents where they're, they're out in front of the kid clearing the path. So there's no mistakes that everything's pristine. And I'm now, you know, removed from college coaching 22 years doing that. And I, uh, helping kids around this area grow with scholarships and, and globally with scholarships, but around here trying to help our backyard. And we have a pretty simple rule to parents and, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. I get the kids for about eight during practices and I get them for two every game. And my only request to the parents is during those practice times and the game times is that I don't have to battle for the attention of the child, that I want them totally locked in on me that I'm not going to do anything harmful to them. Um, I'm going to try to teach them the game and that all I need for them to do is sit in the stands and at the very least just sit there, but they can clap, cheer, whatever they want. Please don't coach the kid. Don't give them instruction from there because nothing they're going to do is going to help that kid out. They can't split their attention from me to them. And really they can't even split it with me because once they're on the field, you know, I can't over instruct them. They've got to, whatever we've trained on, shut your brain down and let your body do what it's supposed to do. And then let's, let's build from there. And that's the biggest line that I think I deal with. Um, we had tournaments this weekend and it's a higher level. You know, we're dealing with high school kids, but these are kids that got lost in the cracks and I make my two kids play with them and it's not a pay to play situation. And uh, we had 12 scouts there from colleges and there were a hundred plus scouts roaming around the fields. And I told the parents, I said, the best way for you to get your kid crossed off a list is become, is to become visible in a bad way. And I had to talk to one dad about it because he was, just for some reason, seemingly intelligent people can't handle watching their kids rise and fall. And that's part of the game. It's part of life. And I had to talk to the dad privately. And I said, you are hurting your child right now because you mentally can't just sit there and watch. Um, you're, you're judging the umpire. You're judging the players. You're probably judging me, which I could care less. Um, but um, yeah. And, and once he realized, I pointed out, I said, see those guys right there with pencils and pens and they're figuring out which kid is yours. And he's crossed off the list because they don't want to invite you into their family. They're not going to deal with instability. So um, 
I think parents that, you know, when they get in the car and they talk to the kid about stuff other than baseball and they get them home and my, and I, my promise to the parents is there's roles. You tell me which one you want to play. You don't come, I don't come to your house to tuck your child in. You don't come to my practices or games and instruct them on what to do. Pretty simple. Just reinforce what I'm teaching them. And it's all yeah. good stuff. So sorry for the long answer, but that's, that no, that, no, that's very great. A really good answer. And, uh, really astute and, and a really good point. Cause I have talked to, especially on the amateur side of, of, of professional ball that a lot of scouts, if they, you know, if a parent is a little bit of a pain in the neck, it does affect the grade, not, not so much the grade of the player, but it goes into the summary. It may go into, Hey, you know, we're getting this, but we're also getting, you know, we're getting a family to come along too. And like, you know, they, these these uh, teams don't want those headaches. So become the sixth tool. That's why I tell my parents: don't become the sixth tool on the sheet. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, that's not a really good one. But you know, it's going to segue into a, to a topic that I found fascinating this weekend. We're going to cross over and talk a little bit of college football, but I'm going to talk more about kind of the role because kind of the biggest name in college football for week one is none other than Deion Sanders, who seemingly is going to be you know, making his presence known as a coach. But he's also a parent of star players on his Colorado Buffalo team. And what I found fascinating about Dion is here's a guy who back in a long time ago when I was covering the NFL, I covered Dion uh, several times, interviewed him through, throughout the years, a uh, long, long time ago. Uh, I always found him very fascinating, obviously, uh, and listened to a lot of his interviews post that game against uh, TCU when Colorado upset them. And I'm just fascinated by how Dion's getting buy-in and, and both of you guys are coaches um, and how do you instill belief and, and buy-in because Dion seems to have a way, Joel, what do you do? Well, you know, it's, it's a really good topic again, uh, as for, you know, what's interesting to me, what Dion first, when he got to Colorado from Jackson state, the first thing he did, he just, he just flipped that roster upside down. Right. And uh, now the NCAA with its portal, uh, you know, the ability for players to move in and out. It's, it's a really interesting uh, day we're living in, especially with athletics. Going to Dion. Dion, uh, he's an he's a bottom line guy, right? I mean, he he wants results. And um, you know, as far as the mental side of what it, you know, it's kind of interesting. You and I'll I'll kind of add what David was uh, talking about briefly with having to deal with with kids. When I was coaching, I'll, I'll mention this briefly. When I was coaching at Plantation High School years ago. I had a kid who was a senior, and uh, he came to me one day uh, right after the season began, and I wasn't starting. He'd been in the program four years, and, and I started a freshman over him, and he came to me, and he goes, I, you don't like me. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you don't like me, coach. And I go, why are you saying that? And he goes, because, you know, I'm a senior, and you're not starting me. You're starting the freshman over me. And so I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, that freshman is the first one to show up at practice every day. He's the last one to leave. You're the last one to show up and the first one to leave. And I said, what you have to understand is, you know, you think I'm playing politics with you or whatever you think. I said, let me tell you something. If, if it's between you and the mayor's son, I'm going to take that mayor's son twice on Sunday, every day of the week and twice on Sunday over you. I said, so you have to separate yourself. I am not the crutch for why you're not accomplishing your goals. So don't don't blame me for your own inability to to accomplish your goals. And I said you can either do something about it or you can quit. But I think what and he if to his credit he's like I hit him in the face you know basically you know with this this thought that you know he's not doing everything that he could 
could to become the best he could be. And he turned into a reliever and he really turned out to be a great ball player at the end of the year. And he later on told me, he goes, I really needed to hear that because I was his crutch as to, you know, as to why he wasn't accomplishing his goals. And when you remove the crutch, now you can really, you know, I think increase uh, performance. And so I kind of look at Dion that way. Dion's a no-nonsense guy, right? He got rid of 81 guys when he first got to Colorado because he said, here's what we're going to do, and I'm not the crutch you're going to use to to not, you know, to not accomplish your goals. So uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, is just uh, – you know, is, is the mental framework that he's constructing at the University of Colorado in order to become a champion. And right off the bat, they beat t- a pretty good TCU team. So it's kind of interesting to see what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, he, it, this is what fascinated me, too, because I was, I was listening to what he had to say in several of these interviews post that game. Uh, you know, he, he was making the rounds on, on Monday, for sure, being interviewed by everyone. And he mentioned something uh, that, I think it's very key, and it's something that someone who covered Derek Jeter uh, with the Marlins, seeing that the former star player having a hard time in an executive role, Deion Sanders noted this. like He, he said it out loud. He goes, I did it all. I was the two-sport athlete. I was the star. I, was, I won Super Bowls. I've done, you know, he's one of the, if not the best defense or cornerback in the history of, of football, and he's Hall of Famer for that. And he goes, but this isn't about me now. This is their time. And he used this phrase. He goes, I'm their navigational system to get to where they want to go. I thought that was a very interesting phrase. Dave, what do you think about it? I love that, Fred. I just wrote down what Joe said, too. I'm not, or Joel said, I'm not your crutch for a while you're feeling. I think those are great cues for kids. I think the one thing, and, and Joel touched on it, and that you're hitting on it, too, with Dion is these you know, they always use that adage, you know, great players want to be coached. No, no. They want to be told the truth. And when you're straight up black and white with players and you tell them the truth, they may not like what you hear, what they hear, but they're going to respect it in the long haul. And they'll know the biggest thing that he's doing done well right now is they know what to expect every day. They know who he's going to be every day when they walk into his facility. So there's no questioning. They know what he, they know who, what he's about and they know what he's not about. And it's a pretty easy choice. You don't. And I say this with my children when I get up. You know what dad's about. If you're not ready to start the day, then don't get out of bed. Um, but if you're ready to, to do things the way we do things in the house, and it's not militant, but it's just, you know, we're about certain things. But I think that's the best thing he's done. I mean, he, he said it right out there. This is who we are. This is who we are not. 81 families will tell you that because they're not with the program anymore. 53 new ones are. And he tells the the kids the truth. And, you know, I, I, I think um, – Joe, something that I saw him touch on too, and uh, I wish he had expounded upon it, but when you're building a culture like that, especially with new guys, and Joel Joel can probably speak volumes about this, but we always talk about sacrifice, giving up something of yourself for the betterment of the program. It's become cliche, whether it's a company or whatnot. And the funny part about, you know, young adults or adults, when they're asked to sacrifice, it's like a six-year-old with a new toy. They don't want to give up the thing that the team needs always. They want to get up, give up what they want to give up. So the thing that he's done well is he's got guys sacrificing right now. And he has guys that are legit pro players that are giving up something that they're good at, but it's better for the team. And that's why his team is having such, I mean, such fast success, which is ridiculous with all those new players. But um, that's, I think that's what he's doing really well. He's got those guys to buy in because he is the navigational system. He knows how to get them to the NFL. And they know, hey, if I just do what this guy tells me, 
we're going to win games and I'm going to have a pretty good football life and probably a good life after that. And I think those are three things he got across well. Yeah. And the other thing too, Dave and Joel, it's, he talks about work. It's like, I think a lot of people see the flash of Dion, the jewelry, the high stepped in when he was a player and, you know, the guy he uh, made a, you know, record <laughs> you know that that song he made back in the early 90s he you know he's kind of whatever he set out to do he's done but he also notes the the work and the preparation and 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 the, the thing i noticed too was and it's everyone's style it's, it's definitely not nick saban's style it's a different type of you know resume and path alabama does well nick saban expects it he yells at everybody to do this or that they go to the sideline Dion runs up to them and smacking their their helmets when they come to the silence. He's in their face. It's almost like he's in the huddle with them, getting them fired up. He's so hands on, touching all those guys. And like he even noted, he's proud they had, they committed six penalties for all the all the plays in that forty whatever forty five forty two whatever the final was. Uh, all the penalties uh, of all the plays in that game, just six penalties. Proud of that. But he also made it clear those six penalties, those six guys are going to run gassers. And he noted that his work is, you know, the way he practices with his kids, it's like they're they're training to win in the fourth quarter at, you know, they're going hard. And he goes, no, everybody does it. But he says right in the middle of practice, he stops and makes the guys run gassers. So he's always coaching. And and the other thing is Dion knows what it took to be as elite as he is. And I really found, you know, that. Joel, how much do you think that matters that this guy clearly can back up what he says because he did it, but then he has a way of connecting it and relating it to a 18 year old as well. Yeah, I think he's a master teacher. There's a difference between teaching and coaching for me. You know, if you look at Dion, what's really interesting is the guys you got to go where no one wants to go. That's what I used to tell my guys all the time. I still do. You, You have to go where no one wants to go. And when you start accomplishing, real accomplishment comes from doing hard things over a period of time, right? And this is where it gets really interesting for me because you, in order to trust your ability, you have to set a foundation that can only come from doing hard things over a period of time. And that's what you're, that's basically what you just outlined with Dion. You know, no one wants to do gassers in the middle. You know, everybody's always looking for the path of least resistance. But Dion, you know, love him or hate him, and I'm kind of in between on some of the things that he does. Uh, but overall, I mean, you can't you can't argue with his success as a player. And now look what he's done. He's coming from, you know, from Jackson State in the first game. It's already he's already caught the attention of you know the sports world. So I mean, he he certainly goes where no one wants to go. But that's where you attain the highest level of accomplishment. So yeah, I, I like it. You know, um, so you know as we were. Uh, just talking a little bit about how to get to that point where you trust your abilities and, and getting to the state of, you know, where I was talking about this one sports psychologist and his name is Mihai Tixin Mihai. And he had developed this psychology called the flow state, which is a, a state of mind and body and perfect focus. Right. So I think all these things come together <clears throat> to uh, to create a special uh, I think a special athlete that, that can really accomplish the greater things. But, Ultimately, people, it, it's a level of commitment that very few people are willing to sacrifice for. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's two more points I want to mention with Dion, and we're going to move on to some other topics. One, I'm going to talk about, I guess we'll do this one first. Um, and and just for our audience, uh, Joel and I, you know, we're, we're starting up, we've started up a, a video uh, company, a sports video company called the Baseball Highlights Network, which we're growing out of South Florida. But a big part of that is we are in the field. We are doing the grind. We are on those backfields, watching practices, watching games, uh, attending multiple games. Uh, right now, I'm doing high school football, which is exposing, exposing me to more players and and more kids. And you and you're you're seeing these kids at the at the at the most basic of levels. And you know, Dion had apparently he had opportunities to get into coaching years ago, but he chose to coach his sons, and he was coaching um, these kids. You know. Some of these kids he is coaching that he brought with him to Colorado. He is coaching them at five, six years old. And I think that shouldn't be lost in the shuffle of this isn't an overnight success story or, or luck or whatever. Um, I think there's real value. And I know Dave's at the grassroots too. You, We're out there seeing it. And I know as we're growing, um, you know, our podcast, we have so much, in, you know, institutional knowledge I think why we're so valuable is all our people, our hosts of our shows, all have an expertise or at least have a lot of, you know, dirt in their cleats, if we are wearing them, uh, that expression, that we're there. We see what goes on and we speak at a level of their understanding, not outsiders talking in. How, how important or how much should that be stressed, Joel, about the importance of being there, you know, being at the grassroots, that's Deion Sanders coaching peewee football. He doesn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. Yeah, I think it goes to your conviction in life. You know, I started out, you know, years ago, I had played baseball through high school and college, and I had uh, later on became, uh, I was a commodities broker and futures researcher and all these things. And then I started coaching my older son because I got irritated at these coaches that were screaming at seven-year-old kids about dropping balls and not hitting a ball. And I got really irritated at it. And so uh, my wife told me, she goes, well, you know, you used to play. Why don't you coach him next year? So I did. And what I found was a, a real conviction to work with young people. And uh, that conviction eventually led. To, to leave the, you know, the financial arena that I was in and become a teacher and a coach. You know, I have a, a degree in English from the University of Miami, which is kind of an oxymoron being from Texas, huh, an English degree <laughs> from Texas. But nonetheless, um, I began to work with uh, high school kids and in, in the classroom and then I uh, coached football at the same time. And uh, so I was coaching football and baseball. And what I found was uh, a real conviction to, uh, you know, to work with young people to, you know, to, to become a, a, a more of a light, you know, as opposed to cursing the darkness, right? Instead of cursing the darkness, we, light, we try to light lights. And that led me to uh, where I am today, which is talking to you guys about all these really interesting topics. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, been, it's been a pretty interesting odyssey for me. Dave, how do you how do you find that too? Because you know you're you're there, you're there with young kids, you're seeing them, you know firsthand, you know the difference between perception and reality. And and I think you know talking to you to my industry with with sports writing, yes, there's a lot of really good prep writers and such, but there's a lot of people with a lot of strong media types with strong opinions who aren't on the grassroots level yet. They have very strong opinions of things, and uh, I at least try to take pride in having, if I'm going to really kind of 
you know, passionately argue a case, I at least like to have as much information about that case. And if it's a subject matter I'm not versed in, I, I just won't engage in that. But, you know, Dave, how do you how do you see in that, you know, the, the reality of where today's young athlete is and the importance of the parents and the, the media, the, the culture to, uh, you know, kind of steer them in the right direction, where which is actually the direction, not somebody's perception of the direction? Yeah, I think, well, see, I think as a college coach, I got shielded to a lot of it in a way where I was catching the back end. I was getting the 18 to 22 year old. And by that time, you know, a lot of their foundation is built and you're trying to help them. If you look at a tree that you're just, you're helping them grow the branches to figure out who they are, what they're going to become and really reinforce what their parents had, you know, brought them up on over that time. And, you know, as I stepped away from the college game and, and obviously just started observing our young kids, my wife and I were both former college athletes. Uh, I'm a former professional athlete. And my goal in this was just to really work with my kids and then let somebody else have a voice and let them play for somebody else. Just sit and watch and enjoy. And I, I went through a similar experience that Joel went through as well, where I started watching, I, I think initially probably well-intended adults where they wanted to be there, although some of them have their own agenda. But to watch these kids go through entire seasons and see no plan of, hey, here's you know, here this year, we're not going to worry about winning the six-year-old championship. We're going to make sure that everybody in the league can hold the ball properly, can catch the ball properly, and they can throw from point A to point B without making somebody reach or whatever, whatever the goal is. And hitting, make sure everybody understands the different spot, a spot to stand in the box, how to hold a bat, um, and, and can make contact and knows, you know, knows how to run from home to first, base it in the out. Something simple, but there was no progression. And, and I saw just an insanity of uh, the way I phrase it is there's such an inertia placed on these kids from adults for whatever they perceive success is um, that we've, we've lost the, the desire to develop properly and, at, and every kid at their own pace. And that's, uh, I find it insane. And now I'm in the middle of it where I see it firsthand every day. And the biggest fear I have with, you know, we've got more swing coaches, throwing coaches, whatever it may be with, without credentials. I mean, there's more those than Starbucks out there right now. And yeah. I think the confusion the parents have is something that I didn't have to go through. Probably you guys didn't have to either. We didn't have this constant input of social media, this constant validation of what the external, you know, is being said about us or the propaganda that our parents are going to put out there saying, you know, look how great little Johnny is or, you know, little Joni. And um, we didn't have that back then. These kids, these kids have grown up on it. They don't know any different. That This is how life is. They live on social media. So I, I don't envy the back end anymore where I was at at the colleges because God knows what they're getting now. But I think being down in the trenches, as you're describing, Joe, as, as you and Joel are right now in, in your area with, the, with, with videos and evaluating and helping kids out, I think being down in the trenches where I'm at now has given me a better appreciation for the importance of parenting. Um, because people ask, have kids changed? No, I don't think so at all. I think kids still want to be demanded from, I, I, the kids love that I demand from, I tell them the truth, uh, although they don't like to hear it sometimes, but there's always a plan. I think parenting's changed in a way where we, we coddled these kids to the point where we fear any mistake being revealed on the kid. Like that's death and the parents will do anything yeah. they can because they believe it validates them in some way, shape or form. And to me, that's the problem. That's the problem out there. I think you guys being in the trenches are good because you're people that get it. Um, I hopefully I get it, and um, and I think that's the way to help change what's going on out there a little bit. Yeah, Dave, I think you yeah, the word I'll, that, I'll, that really rings is I, I'm sorry, Joel. I just want to touch on this. 
it, Dave really hit a word. It's development. He mentioned the word development. And that is the word that's used a lot, but who's really doing it right? And I was going to get to Joel because Joel's a, a, you know, a pitching coach as, as well as pitching instruction and, and a really fine program. Joel, what does development to you mean? And, and then follow with your thought. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You were just talking about how these kids develop. So for me, uh, look, there's a difference between biological age and chronological age. You see a lot of kids chronologically, they might be 15, 16 years old, but biologically, they might be advanced or they might be behind. And so we take this one size fits all approach in so many different ways, but you have to, you have to be able to break it down individually. And uh, what I was going to add to that was um, when I was at at Deerfield Beach a long time ago is when I first started Broward. And I I had Mike Fires with me, who's who's thrown two no-hitters at the major league level. I had Mickey Story, who's the AAA manager in in Sugar Land, the Astros. And went right off the bat, it's Deerfield Beach, which is really interesting. But when I first got there, um, I'll I'll mention real quick, was, was Mike Fires. And Mike was a junior, but Mike was mentally weak. And which is interesting because he's thrown two no hitters, right? And so you have to have some kind of mental internal control in, in order to even get to the major leagues, much less throw two no hitters. But Mike was his junior year; he was extremely weak mentally. And as soon as some, he'd give up a, a home run, or if he, you know, if there was an error behind him, you could see his shoulders collapse. You could see this air going out of a balloon mentally, and uh, he would be done as soon as someone made a mistake behind him. Uh, he'd walk a guy, then give up a double, then another single, and he was done. And it took me a good year. And what I, and the one thing I really began to focus on was really promote the idea that the inside controls the outside. The inside, Mike, controls the outside. You can't allow the outside to affect you mentally. And so what I began to really, it took me a good year to construct it. And it, I'll tell you real quick, we had gone up to... Uh, uh, to Melbourne Ugali and we played in the spring break and Melbourne Ugali had Prince Fielder Jr. And every scout in, in the world was there to see Prince Fielder Jr. And I threw Mike in the game. And uh, so <laughs> Fielder was hitting three hole and uh, he gets up to the plate. And, and as soon as he steps up to the plate, he uh, Mike steps off the mound and he turns to my center fielder and starts waving at him to go move back, move back. And I rarely ever would get upset, you know, in the middle of the game. I'm more of a positive influence for, for these guys. But I got really, <laughs> I got real mad at him. And I started yelling, why don't you just tell him you're afraid of him? You know, you're already mentally beaten before you even throw the first pitch. And, of course, the second pitch, Fielder hit, hit it like 400 feet over center field. And so he came off the mound, and he was, was kind of shying away from me. And I go, Mike, I said, you know, again. You know, the inside controls that, you know, just execute the, you know, execute the pitches. Don't worry about what the other guy is going to do. And so what the last thing I was going to add to this is that when you are building a player or you're trying to construct a positive influence in, in, in his mental construction, what you really have to do is understand that, you know, you might fail at the task, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. And the game and baseball is a game of failure, right? You have nine guys versus one. We've talked about this before. There's power in numbers, and that's why the baseball is so difficult because, you know, the numbers are against you as a hitter. And uh, so, you know, I, the one thing that I really focus on my guys is just telling them, listen, you might fail at that task, but just failing at the task 
does not mean you are a failure personally, because like David was talking about, you know, so many times, I mean, I think with, uh, we focus on scoreboards, right? The scoreboard tells me it validates me or, or it, you know, invalidates me as a person. And I think this is where the kids have really, you know, I think it's a real deficit for kids today. I don't play the scoreboards. I, I call it laundry. You know, it's not you versus laundry. It's you versus the game. And when you begin to unlock the secrets of the game, that's when you can really construct the mental framework to really accomplish. And so, you know, again, I mean, you know, that's where I really get into the science of numbers and, and, uh, you know, knowing the runner on first with no out, you know, what's the probability that he's going to score? I get him to second base, there's about a 70, 60, about 56% chance he scores. So for me, the game starts at second place, second base. So I really get into the mental side of this of like, okay, I've got to control that first, second base lane. So the more I can give them details, because details reveal truth, and the more truth I can discover, the more ability I'm going to have to accomplish my goal. And uh, so for me, it took Mike a good year. I really worked with him a year from his junior to senior, really constructing his mental framework. And uh, by the time he was a senior, he was oh, he was amazing. He, he, just, he just turned a, he, he turned out to be so mentally strong. And I'm not saying he did it just because of me, but these were the things we worked on. And then later on, you know, he went through a number of uh, adversity uh, things that happened. His life car wreck, his mom died, and he was over. He was able to overcome them. And uh, and he was only one of 14 pitchers in history of throwing two no hitters or more at the major league level. But you would have never known it as a junior in high school because he was mentally mentally weak. And so if you're gonna accomplish, you've got to. Understand that you know you're going to fail, but just failing at the task doesn't mean you're a failure as a person. And I think that's the the beginning to understand how to uh, how to build, you know, build within the game. Dave, you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a great uh, lead into. Although I want to give a little tidbit on Dion before I let Joel lead, because I want to hear about the the soul of the game. People that tomahawk chalk going back to Dion, Joe. People think yeah. Atlanta Braves created that. That was Florida State. By the way, yeah. Atlanta stole it for, from, for Dion. But, uh, Joel, that leads into, you know, the, the research and the books that you do, Battle for the Soul of the Game. I mean, your statement right there, um, if someone doesn't get juiced up about, you know, you being entrenched in, I mean, that there's a lot of guys that look like Mike. There's a lot of baseball players that do. But there's something that you triggered inside of his body and his mind to all of a sudden get it right and to start, again, developing at his own pace. And you said it is biological and chronological yeah. age. I mean, you were you were a student enough to tap yeah. into that. Had it not been for you, not, and again, Mike Fires a great pitcher, but that path could have taken a little yeah. different route or a little longer to get to. So, um, or if you had met him earlier, yeah. and if he was prepared to receive, which is important, could have done. But talk talk about. I mean, you, you we're getting right into the soul of the game. That's your 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 book, your project. Talk about how that translates to what you're saying right now. Yeah. Um, you know, so the book is titled Battle for the Soul of Baseball, a modern baseball conversation or a modern conversation. And so uh, the thread that I try to use throughout the book is what is a ball player? What is a ball player? Right. So, I mean, if you get into uh, the data analytics side, they will tell you that a, a ball player is, you know, exit speeds and launch angles and, you know, velocity. And you go to the traditional uh, the traditionalists who believe that, you know, that the sixth tool, you know, the, the, the makeup is, is what really a ball player is. And so, you know, that's where it gets really interesting, but what is a ball player? So each, each, each person it's, it's actually arbitrary because 
there's really no one, uh, I think, characteristic that determines what a ball player is. A ball player is a number of things. So, like I said, so someone today might say, "Well, Mike Trout's he's he's the he's the ball player because he's an incredible athlete that can, you know, that can do so many different things physically." But another guy, well, well wait a minute, what about Yadier Molina? You know, this is a guy who, with a baseball IQ that's off the charts, right? Is that a ball player, or is a ball player someone that you know has an impact outside the lines, like a Jackie Robinson? Right. Who changed not only baseball and he changed the society around him that led to the civil rights movement in the 50s and then later on in the 60s and 70s. So we saw an incredible impact of people that have used the game as a conduit to make society better or sometimes maybe worse. It just depends on who you want to look at. But, you know, to me, it's 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 a dive into how did we get to where we are? Because we started out, you know in 1846 with the first game. And then that led eventually. And it's interesting, uh, Dave, as you dig into the the science of numbers and how Henry Chadwick, who was the first one to create the modern day box score in 1858, what he did. Right. So he said that basically that baseball was, he would eventually evolve into a, you know, a, a, a algorithm of numbers. I'm paraphrasing. So, and, and he was right. And so eventually, so what you have by, by the 1940s, you had, you know, Jack, uh, you had Branch Rickey, the same year Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, he hired a guy named Alan Roth, who was the very first full-time statistician. And, stat, and that was, it was Roth who came up with the idea of platooning, you know, lefties versus righties, and, and also came up with some, you know, on-base percentages, came up with some things that people weren't paying attention to. And so that really began to really set the stage. And then I've talked about it before, by the mid-60s, you had a book called Percentage Baseball by a guy named Earnshaw Cook, who wanted to prove that Babe Ruth was not as good as Ty Cobb. And he began to question traditional, you know, traditional baseball, and the way it was the way it was played and the way it was observed. And then that led to 1971, we had the Science of American Baseball Research, which came into formation and, and uh, which is called Sabre, right? And so by 78, Bill James, you know, he created his baseball abstracts and, and each, each, I think each step led to a new discovery in, 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 in the science of baseball. But that's where we are today. You know, where are we today? Well, baseball has been turned over to the data analytics uh, community. And so they, they kind of thumb their nose at, you know, the traditional guy, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, who talked about the good face, right? What is a good face? Well, if you leave, if you read about Al Campanis, who was, you know, uh, Branch Rickey's top scout with the Dodgers, Campana said he would never sign a player unless he could study his face first. He figured he could figure out what a ball player was based on, you know, based on his facial facial structures, right? It's really interesting stuff. And so the data analytics crowd just laughs at that and they go, ah, that's just stupid. You know, no, because we can identify players by, you know, by, uh, by what their physical attributes are based on science. And uh, so that's what I dig into is the traditional way of looking at the game, the modern way of looking at the game, and then bringing out players who have impacted the game. Someone like, you know, Billy Sunday, who was the fastest player in baseball in the 1890s, who, who wound up becoming a Christian and, and a minister. And his revivals began to impact society to the point where he, his number one sermon, by the way, was on alcohol, the dangers of alcohol. And that led to the 19th Amendment, you know, which was prohibition. 
I mean, such an impact. So is that a ball player? Is that someone just, you know, outside the lines as opposed to inside the lines? So that's basically what I talk about in the book is, you know, it's a modern conversation. It's a battle for the soul of baseball. Is it numbers versus makeup? And so uh, they're really, I think at the end of the day, what you find is that you can't, you can't separate numbers from the game, that it's in our DNA. Numbers have always been, numbers will always be a part of the game. And, um, but what is the impact of that game? Because the game influences society and society influences the game. So it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's a, it's, I think it's a, an interesting look and, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I've already gotten some good feedback on it. So hopefully it'll, it'll at least spur the, a, a conversation that I think we need because the people that I talk to, as far as the coaches, they, they, they really rail against the Saber community. They call them children of the corn, which I think is kind of funny. So the children of the corn are, you know, you know, we, I won't go into detail, but anyway, so, you know, there's a real bigotry involved, not only in, in the numbers community, but also in the traditional community from each. So I think each side, I, I think they don't understand the other side. And I think uh, ultimately, you know, we're all part of the same, you know, the, the same fabric that makes up the game. Well, guys, to take this to take this full circle and bring it back to to Dion, you know, he was talking about he was asked what kind of players he's looking for. What's a ball player? And um, mm-hmm. and he has one in uh, Travis Hunter, who's a two way player. And obviously, traditional thinking, uh, the the standard thinking is there's no way you could sustain playing 150 snaps in a football game, you know, on offense and defense, and yet. You know, he says why he thinks he can do it. You know, Dion's a guy that played two professional sports when told he couldn't do that. Um, but he noted the word passion and a guy being kind of the gamer mentality where Hunter was a kid at 6 a.m. texting Dion, let's go, baby, at 6 a.m. for a noon start. You know, he's already texting his coach. He's the one who who's on the practice field first one on the field, last one off type of guy. And I think that word passion, I think, can help define whether whether you're a sports writer like me, now a podcaster or a coach or uh, whatever you do, I, I believe passion defines whatever role you are. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, passion's that, that fire. I think it's, uh, as you said, the the young man who texts his coach at six o'clock in the morning, that's uh that's passion. And, and, you know, one of the things with, with passion, I always caution, I never want to extinguish passion from kids. Cause I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's rare. And if they find something they like to just, to see how far you can go with it. But I always remind them too, that passion is like a fire and they don't understand the, I have to show them the old, you know, the old apartment buildings way back when, when you had the furnace in the basement and you, 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 you heated the whole apartment. If that fire is hot and it's burning constant, boy, you can heat a whole building for days, weeks, months, year. But if it gets over the top and you lose control of that ego and, you, and the passion becomes uh, a little bit more than it's supposed to be, you can burn the whole damn building down. Um, so I think passion is a great starter with it. And I think you can't do anything without it. You really can't. Passion, enthusiasm, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that's what a coach is for, is to help them direct that passion um, because again, you do, you, you, you have that passion nonstop a hundred, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're going to burn out. I'm, I'm a product of that. I, I think that's shortened my career. I just nonstop all day long and, um, to temper yeah. that passion, know when to, 
you know, kind of fan the flame a little bit, then raise it up. That That is a trick, uh, I think. And you, I think back in our, probably we're all about the same, around the same age, same generation. Um, to turn it on and turn it off was was never allowed. Um, but I think that's something, but a kid's got to have the passion, Joe, like you're saying, first. And then once they yeah. learn to control it, when it's time to stoke the flame, when it's time to, to put it down, that's the trick, I think, to longevity. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, it becomes the challenge of the task, right? If it were easy, it wouldn't be any fun, right? So, you know, it's, it's for me, it becomes the skill needed to accomplish, you know, that task, you know, and, and also you have to have clarity of goals. You got to be, you got to be clear about what you're trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, and of course, you obviously need the concentration that goes with that. And so, I mean, look, I mean, it's, you know, Dorfman talks about, you know, and, and like I mentioned, the ABCs of the mental ABCs of pitching by H.A. Dorfman. And he talks about that. He talks about how, you know, uh, you know, what it takes mentally to to accomplish, you know, uh, that that higher level of of of, of skill. And um, and that's why I, I don't know if you've ever read Dorfman's, you know, the mental ABCs of pitching, but it basically he identifies problems every pitcher faces uh, before, during and after a game. And he outlines strategies and how to solve those issues mentally. It's one thing to construct, you know, look, I mean, I work at the biomechanics of delivery. It's all about balance, timing, direction, and all these things. Energy stays inside 17, all these things. And, and I talk about the physical part a lot, but it's the mental side, which is so important. And, um, and so it's one thing to say, okay, you're going to go run 30 poles and you're going to do, you know, X amount. You're going to do, you know, short box, long, you're going to do long toss, you're going to do all these things physically. But what are we doing mentally to help these kids really get there? Because, like I said, the game is a game of failure. And I think that's why more and more kids in this generation are moving away from baseball. Because, uh, you know, I just think it's uh, they're with their attention spans and everything else. I think uh, the game is too difficult for a lot of kids. But, you know, the kids that are involved in the game, they, they love it and they understand how difficult it is. And it's a real challenge for them. But it's constructing that mental side, which is so key to really have success in baseball. And I think that's what I love more than anything else is constructing that, um, you know, uh, trying to put it all together, right? The, the mental side along with the physical. It's a real challenge. Joel, tell everyone how they could get the book. Yeah, it's uh, the publisher is Summer Game, Summer Game Books. It's uh, out of New Jersey. And, um, you know, it's coming out. Hopefully, I think uh, my publisher told me he's shooting for December. So uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon. I have uh, the seven-player revolution on there already. So uh, you can do that, or you can reach into reach out to uh, Summer Game Books. And I have a website called uh, joeldbradley.com, and I go over you know some of the uh, topics that we've talked about today, and a little bit about uh, my area of the world and what I'm trying to accomplish with it. Oh, good stuff, Dave. Anything last before we get out of here? No, that was phenomenal. I, I think uh, I'm looking forward to the book, Joel. I, I think people that are that love baseball it doesn't matter what side you're on, analytics or old school traditional style. It sounds to me like it's going to be a PhD in empathy, where if mm. people can start having the conversations like you're trying to bring about, they don't have to agree with the other side, but understand what it's about. Then real conversations can happen to help, as as you say in your title, save the soul of baseball. I think that's a I think you're the guy to do it, buddy. I, I like what you well, said. This was, this was a great mid-afternoon pick-me-up, this conversation. I love it. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, mention one last thing. Good. Yeah. Go, go okay. Joel. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, the last thing I was going to say, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, Rob Manfred came out at the beginning of spring training this year, and he said that baseball is in a race to nowhere. It was in a race to nowhere, and it was a slap at, you know, the data analytic community. And yet he had promoted that data analytic community back in 2019 whenever they had reshaped their farm league system. Uh, but anyway, we'll pick it up on, for another time. But uh, I think Dave's right. I think, uh, look, I, I think it, it can be it can only be healthy if we can have a true discussion you know, without having prejudice, uh, you know, from from our own points of view. Of course, we all have prejudice, but I think uh, we we grow as people with a true exchange of ideas, and that's what the whole goal of the book was: is to exchange ideas with people and instead of having one, you know, one side dominate the conversation. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And it's something that's a, that we hammer home uh, repeatedly on the channel. Uh, just getting the real voices, you know, I, I think you, the word soul in the title of your book speaks a lot because I think that, you know, you, you can kind of see it in, in on Twitter after a game. There's very little to be said about a play. There's usually this guy sucks because he didn't come through or this guy's the greatest player ever because he did come through there. There's no mm -hmm. middle ground. It's like, it's, uh, you know, it's robotic in, in the way it's being sold and, and consumed and, you know, I think we all got drawn to sports and baseball specifically for our love of and something triggered in our heartstrings that got us there. And um, and that's why the word soul in your book, uh, the soul of the sport is up for grabs. Yeah. And, and uh, hopefully uh, the people with sanity can, can make sure it doesn't ever completely leave as we as we yeah. build this right. Any any last announcements, Dave, before we get out? Just thanking our fans. Reminder that we are now on iHeart uh, Radio, the podcast stream, so you can find us there as well. Getting close to fifty thousand. I want to make sure they get on your man on second. Give Joe five stars today. Write some great comments. Joel, tremendous guest again. I know second time on the show. We're going to keep having him back because, at the very least, I get a ton out of it, Joe. I, uh, <laughs> I enjoy listening to Joel and having the conversations. It's a regular stimulant, but. Uh, Yep, no, pre appreciate the show. And just keep supporting Joe's podcast here, Man on Second, Real Voice to the Game. Uh, 74 countries now, Joe. We would only do it in English, but somehow we're, we're transcending over these, these countries and languages. So keep yeah. up the good work. That's, that's the goal. And, and we'll continue to bring great guests and great topics. Again, thanks to Joel Bradley. Uh, we got a lot coming on. We got some showcases and events we're going to be part of. Uh, we'll, we'll mention that in the near future. Um, and, and obviously the growth of uh, – the real voices of the game productions. This this thing is really catching fire, and it's going to be it's going to be a very exciting network to be part of, and uh, proud to be part of it. Again, Joe Frasero, man on second, real voices of the game productions, and we are out of here.